0: Welcome to another episode of this life reconsidered. You know, when I went through the experience I went through, it took me a long time to realize that I was kind of walking two journeys, I was going through a physical one, and because I needed to focus on recovery. But I was also going through an emotional one. And it was a really rough one, because it was a battle that I, I didn't understand. And it wasn't something that I could just kind of make go away. It needed to kind of happen on its own. It needed to be gradual and I couldn't force it. I needed to allow myself to kind of walk through it. So now as I look back on that, I realized that it was kind of how I emotionally was processing the trauma that I had gone through. So I got to thinking about what trauma is, what, what part of it is scientific, what part of it is it is, it's process-driven. I, I just wanted to understand it. And I am such a logical, rational person that I needed to kind of contextualize it a little bit. And so when I reached out to a very good friend and therapist based out of Florida, Monica Gonzalez, she graciously uh, lent me some of her, her intel and her insight and her energy um, to producing an episode that offers a broad look at what trauma is and how our body goes through it and how we understand and and cope with traumatic experiences. I I thought it was especially relevant to have her share some of her insight, especially given what what is happening in the world today. I thought it would be really really powerful to kind of have her sh- uh, lend some of her perspective. So I hope as you listen to this episode, you just could, whether or not you may know this information, Or you're going through something a little tough personally, I just hope that you'll be able to draw some some good insight on what trauma means and how to go through and cope for some of this. And after this, there is a mini bonus episode that I worked on with Monica as well to share some some good perspectives that she had on how to channel, you know, kind of like and how to cope and how you would channel some of those that feelings that go when you're trying to kind of make sense especially through the stressors and traumas that happen in our lives. So this isn't meant to be a broad s- sweeping cure all, but it is hopefully to provide a little bit of perspective and educational insight and I hope that you're able to draw as much as information as I was able to draw um working working on this content. Thank you. So Welcome to another episode of This Life Reconsidered. You know, I've got to admit, I'm really... Since I started ideating over This Life Reconsidered, I wanted to make sure that, especially for the second season, that um, I was able to bring you content that is really focused on digging into those life lessons that you learn when something really impactful happens in your life. As you may recall, This Life Reconsidered was born from a a very, very challenging and kind of traumatic experience for me personally, medically. And after that, coming out of that experience, it, it became all about focusing on these life lessons that you should be learning and living and embracing when it comes to these kind of big moments in your life. And sometimes we have these kind of experiences and don't realize that we should be turning in, turning them into opportunities to grow as individuals. And that's that's kind of the genesis and the heart of the show, as you may recall. And so when building that kind of content, I wanted to have content and especially guests who have an expertise that um, lends itself to these really meaningful insights that we can all learn from regardless of whether or not you may have suffered kind of like a, a, a medical trauma or a personal trauma the the whole point is that we should be learning from that difficult stuff that trips us up in life and so I that's actually why I'm really thrilled for this week's episode. Uh, because not only am I speaking to someone I've known for more than half of my life, which is really overwhelming, but is she's she's sharp and gifted and smart at really understanding people, especially which she should be, especially as a therapist. So I think it, there's a really big value on what she's going to share, and the topic that we're really focusing on is all about kind of coping with challenging life experiences, especially those that can have traumatic impact on us. And of course, we're going to talk about what that exactly means, what that looks like. Um, And my guest, Monica Gonzalez, is not only just kind of filled with kind of this knowledge, but also some of this advice that we can internalize. So I I really hope that you appreciate the insight that she's going to bring, and I'm gonna give her an opportunity to introduce herself, talk a little bit about her professional background, and also uh, just kind of educate us. So Monica, um, let me just kind of give this to you. Tell us about who it is that you are, what you do, how you know what you know.
1: Well, thank you, Janina. Yes. For over half our lives, I feel so old now. Well, I have been a therapist for over 10 years now. And just recently in the last seven years, I have worked with victims of childhood molestation, sexual assault, rape, and domestic violence. So I have been working in the trauma field for a pretty long time because before that I worked with children and teenagers who suffered um, lots of different types of abuse that led to emotional and behavioral issues um, in Chicago. So that's that's what I've been doing now, and I am actually in private practice currently, and will be working with um, mothers who are experiencing birth trauma, postpartum depression, anxiety, so that is my newer trauma focus.
0: Thank you so much for for that for that background and and that context. And so, you know, Monica, given that depth of experience and especially given Given the kind of very difficult work that you do, um, and I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm so thrilled to kind of have you have have you do this show and to lend your your expertise because I think that this is something that um, is something that it's it's difficult to to understand, especially when we're going through our own uh, difficult tra- ch- uh, challenging experiences. You know, when I was thinking about this show, and it was a little bit of a struggle for me because I wanted to kind of make sure that we were doing a little bit of justice as to what it means to kind of experience a challenging life and traumatic experience and what that looks like and I so I feel like I would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about you know what you know what kind of experiences can traumatize and impact us and you know tell us a little bit about kind of what that looks like and what the science of trauma is. So
1: first, let's start with, you know, what trauma is in general, right? So trauma is a psychological and an emotional response to an event or an experience that someone have that they have that is either deeply distressing or extremely disturbing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be life threatening, but it can be as well. Now, I explained that I have been focusing on working with people with sexual trauma and domestic violence, but there are so many other types of trauma that exist. Um, For example, war is a type of trauma, any type of violence, and we are seeing this a lot, the mass shootings that are happening all over. I mean, I live in Florida currently, and in the last year or two, we've had several mass shootings that have definitely been traumatic for not only those who were, you know, who experienced it, but people who live nearby or just Florida and the whole country in general. Um, Also disasters, you know, when we talk about the California fires, uh, New Orleans with the flooding from Hurricane Katrina, those are all different types of uh, traumas, medical trauma, like you experienced, any type of abuse whether that's sexual abuse emotional abuse physical abuse even bullying or a car accident could be something that could be categorized as a trauma now this the one thing about a trauma is that trauma is subjective so two people can really experience the same event or experience and one person could be traumatized by it and the other person May not be so, and, and you know, and that really has to do with how someone experiences that event, and also you know their past experiences as well as their re- resiliency.
0: So, as 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 you as you talk about that, you know, and it's interesting that you say that people can experience different things um, in different kinds of ways. Is there, is there something that can be said as we think about the way people experience things? Do, do, does this, are there certain types of stages and symptoms that differ or is it, or is it just kind of, you know, at the end of the day, when you experience trauma, there's the way that you kind of go through that journey? Well,
1: you know, depending on the, whatever the event may be, the symptoms for trauma are pretty similar across the board. You know, most people will experience uh, anxiety, depression, uh, intrusive negative thoughts. They may have flashbacks of the event, trouble sleeping, uh, low appetite, um, maybe sleeping a lot. So, a lot of the symptoms look pretty similar no matter what type of trauma they, they've experienced. But again, you know how someone experiences an event and whether or not they end up being traumatized from it really has to do with a lot of their past experiences, right? If they've experienced numerous traumas in the past, they may already be on high alert and we'll go a little bit into the science behind trauma, um, but they may be more negatively uh, impacted than someone else who's maybe never experienced a trauma before in their life. And also, you know, how people cope with traumas or, you know, distressing events that may not be traumatic on a day to day basis. You know, how do you cope with stress? Do you have a support system? Um, You know, do you tend to cope with stress negatively by doing something like, drinking or engaging in self-harm or binge eating, right? So all of those ways that we cope with day-to-day stressors can really have an impact on how we cope with a traumatic event. You know, and something I also wanted to mention when we talk about the different types of trauma is that there's also something called secondary trauma, where someone who may not have Experience the event may still be traumatized because the trauma happened to someone that they care for, that they, you know, a family member. So by hearing about someone else's trauma, they can also be traumatized by the event, you know. And for someone like myself who is a therapist, right, I'm in the helping field and we, what the trauma that we experience is called vicarious trauma, you know, listening to. Sexual assault stories and childhood molestation, domestic violence on a day-to-day basis can really impact someone who is either, you know, a therapist, a social worker, um, or, you know, EMTs, police officers, people like that.
0: So, so you know, Monica, and I know you just kind of touched upon this a little bit, but I would love to because I think that that was a really great setup to talk about, uh, you know, these, the science behind, by, behind this, and and what the stages and the process looks like. Can you educate us a little bit about what kind of picture that looks like, and and how what this Absolutely. journey looks like? So I won't get
1: too into, you know, too much of the science and biology, but on a day-to-day basis, individuals exist in a normal state of equilibrium or balance. So when some type of trauma or uh, impactful event occurs, it kind of throws us out of our range of equilibrium. And it's really difficult to restore that sense of balance in their life. So what happens you know we our, our brains have developed over millions and millions of years to survive so right when something happens our brain kind of goes into this automatic mode how do i survive so when we are confronting danger or a traumatic situation our defense circuitry goes into control and our prefrontal cortex is switched off so what's important about that is our prefrontal cortex which is at the front of our our brains, the front of our heads, where our forehead is, you know, that's the most highly developed part of our brain, and that controls our executive functioning. And so what that means is it controls our decision making. And so often when we speak with someone who has experienced a traumatic event, they can talk about it, you know, after the fact, and they'll say, oh, I wish I would have done this, I should have done that, or even... Other people who are hearing this story will say things like, well, if that ever happened to me, I would do this or I would do that. But the thing about it is, is that we're talking now out of the danger zone. So we're using our prefrontal cortex. So we're able to, you know, make those decisions and we can think, well, if I do this, I could survive. If I, you know, would run, I could have escaped this. But in that moment, right, when we are perceiving that threat of death or harm or, you know, attack on our sense of self, the amygdala, which is part of the limbic system, sends out a danger signal and our survival reflex kicks in, which most people know this as the fight, flight, or freeze response.
0: Ha! Huh. So... So and this is and this is kind of just a, a reality, regardless of the intensity of the type of drama. Like, how do you how do you equate this in different types of experiences? Like, th- is is there a, a, a different scaled down version of, flight and, of fight and flight? Like, how does how does this look with those kind of like difficult kind of like moments in which our body is kind of going through a really challenging so like with the fight, can't fight or freeze
1: response, like I said, this is you know, this is something that you know has developed over over the millions of years of our existence. And so it even goes down to the most basic thing of being afraid of, for example, a snake. Right? We step out of our front door and we see a snake. Most people in that moment, right? It's that the the snake will we're thinking danger, it might attack us. We've got to do something. So in that moment, most people may freeze because of the fear, or you're going to run, maybe jump over it, or shut the door so it can't get in. So in something in a you know a bigger scale, for example, um, if we're talking about sexual assault, since that's you know the type of trauma I've worked with for this the last seven years. If you are in a position where someone is about to attack you, oftentimes the freeze response is what happens. And so many people report, I just couldn't move. I I wanted to run, but I couldn't. That freeze, the freeze response is what takes over because sometimes, you know, we're not able to fight. And we're not able to flee a situation. And so the, the other response is we just are frozen. We're frozen in
0: fear. And of course, this this ties back to the point that you had raised earlier that this is kind of dependent on how people react and respond to these kind of experiences. Like the way that you would respond to a certain type of traumatic or impactful Absolutely. experience and is different the than the way thing that, that I would happen, respond. is
1: even it, I could have five or six different traumatic events happen to me and I could respond differently in each one of those events. So just because I fight, you know, one time doesn't mean I'll fight all the time. And just because I freeze one time doesn't mean I'm always going to freeze. So it varies from situation to situation and from person to person.
0: So what 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 would you assume? Or and let me not use the word assume because I know that especially in the kind of work that you do, assumption is not what you want to do. Um, but wh- why does that happen? Like why does something vary in well, one and moment and another? Or there's, is there no there really way to really explain, way to explain
1: that? that? Because our like I, I was explaining, we don't have control over it. Our defense circuitry is what kicks in, and there is no logic behind it. We're, there's no thinking that happens because the prefrontal cortex is shut off. And so whatever happens, it's just, it's a reflex. It's a survival reflex. And we literally have no control over what we're doing in that moment. So if we fight or we, we flee the situation or we freeze, we have no control. It is an automatic response.
0: Huh, that's kind of it's fascinating and also a little overwhelming to realize that. And I'm and I'm so and you know this from all the years that we've <laughs> known each other. I'm a, I'm so much of a control nut, and so the the idea of not being able to control my response to things is feels really kind of disenfranchising. Like I feel like I I, I don't ha- I feel like at a loss not having power. Um, I mean, how how do you And maybe I I don't want to get ahead of some of the stuff that I know we're going to talk about, but is that, is that a reality? Like, do you have, have you encountered clients like that, that kind of feel that kind of loss of of how they handle that?
1: That response is so automatic. So many people experience shame, regret, or guilt for how they responded during a traumatic event. And one of the things I always do in therapy, especially in the first couple sessions, is I really educate them on how the brain works so that they understand that it wasn't a choice that they had in that moment, that they really, this response that they, that they had in that moment was automatic and there was nothing really that they could do in that moment. And that really helps kind of remove some of that guilt that they have and some of that shame. But what doesn't help oftentimes is the people around them chiming in about how they would have responded in that same situation, right? Which then reinforces that shame and guilt that they already have for how they responded.
0: You know... Monica as as you've kind of shared a lot of those things and I know that you are are very very specialized especially given some of the sensitive topics that I know that you've had to that you have had to deal with over your career but one of the reasons and I just want to make sure our listeners know this one of the reasons I wanted you on on the show and I wanted you to talk about you know just the 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 the, the reality and the nature of what it means to kind of go through coping with those kind of traumatic things and challenging things. And I want to be very intentional about not just throwing the word loosely trauma, but realizing that people experience very difficult things in different ways. And and as I mentioned in the beginning, one of the reasons that I had had you here is because I felt at a loss when I suffered that that, that stroke that I had a couple of years ago. And, and, for, and, and it took me a long time to rebound from that because I didn't understand what my, what my kind of like my body, my mental state was kind of, how was I internalizing this experience and how was, and, and, and trying to figure out how to either live with it and drive it and push it through. So I thought that you would have a really amazing insight to share on kind of, how we go through the stages of these difficult things that we live in life. And, and then what I really look forward to kind of asking you is how we manage the difficult. So we're not consumed by it because it is very easy to, to magnify things when they look really, really impossible to get
1: through. um, The stages of trauma. So usually the, First stage is what we call safety and stabilization. So usually after a trauma, there's there's some loss of whether it's safety, um, like you said, control, uh, stability. So the the first thing is really to identify, you know, where is that that loss of control? Where is that loss of stability? So we can work there first, right? So. During this stage, we're usually going to work on identifying the common trauma symptoms that people have gone through, which a lot of times can be shock, you know, not just being in disbelief that this happened or, you know, for example, with you with a medical trauma, you know, getting that type of information, right? Oftentimes there's that shock, disbelief, denial, um, anger, grief, confusion, fear fear. So all of those type of symptoms, you know, so I being able to identify those so people can understand what they're going through all the different feelings. You know, a lot of times we equate this to a roller coaster, because it's just the feelings are up and down and all over the place. And then not only the, you know, the emotional kind of feelings, but also the bodily sensations that people may go through. And so, for example, anxiety, right? A lot of people feel anxiety in their body, most often in their stomach, in their gut, where they are reporting nausea, stomach aches, inability to eat or hold food down, right? So really just trying to understand what's happening to their body and, you know, in the mind. Now, it's important to be able to work on establishing physical and emotional and environmental safety for so after a mass shooting, right, safety is going to be the biggest, um, you know, area that we want to work on because you feel unsafe. You don't you don't want to leave your house anymore. You don't want to go to school anymore. We, we just had another shooting, you know, in a Walmart. So that makes people feel very unsafe that they can't go shopping without being afraid that someone might come in and... You know, shoot up Target or or the grocery store that they're that they're at. So that's really that first uh, stage of focus. And you know, one of the things that we also work on in that stage is learning how to regulate those emotions that I described, um, establishing a self care routine, and really learning healthy ways of coping with all of the different feelings, emotions um, body sensations and coping with triggers. Yeah. It, it's a lot.
0: Oh, I, mean, so, so, I mean, is there, is there a kind of a, 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 is there a natural order in the way that these things happen or they can,
1: you know, so ideally, we would go through all of the stages you know in a linear fashion, but that's just not how it happens, right. So if we're establishing safe, safety and stability, and we've moved on to the next stage, which is remembrance and mourning. Um, and at that time, the focus is really on processing the trauma, right Putting words and emotions to the trauma, being able to make meaning of it. Uh, allowing a space to grieve any losses, right? And that loss could be the loss of a person, but it might be the loss of a limb. It could be the fact that maybe you can't have children. um, So grieving any type of loss. Then it's really being able to tell your story with the emotions and the attachment, but not making a person relive their trauma to the point where they're re-traumatized so which brings me to the question that you had just asked do you go through all the stages you know you know from one to two to three or do you kind of bounce back and forth well as you're working in this second stage and you're trying to process trauma sometimes a person may get back go back to that safety and stabilization stage, because now they no longer feel safe as they're processing the trauma. Or maybe something else has happened to them, and now they are experiencing another trauma, which has now brought them back to the first stage again. So it's really important that when you're processing trauma with someone, that they have really learned healthy ways of coping, which is something we'll talk about later. Um, so that way, as they're processing the trauma, and you really have to work at their at their pace, because you don't want to re-traumatize someone, right? We don't want to have to send them back to a space where they feel unsafe again. And so the, the last stage would be reintegrating right reconstructing that balance and equilibrium taking that trauma that has happened and integrating it into your life where you are creating a new sense of self right a new future that the trauma is a part of your life but it doesn't define you it's not the only thing that you think about it doesn't control you it is now a part of your life story the same way a happy memory you know, your awesome 50th birthday party is a memory and it's a part of your story, but it doesn't define you.
0: Huh. So with, with all of these kind of stages, and I'm just really curious to know, just given your, your years in the field and the kind of work that you've done, is there something that you've, any observations that you would be willing to share or that you've noticed with clients? Is there something that, clients tend to default to or any types of behaviors that you notice as as clients are going through these stages?
1: Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that I see really often is that people want to pretend they're okay and just kind of ignore their trauma. And as they're the people around them are trying to support them and ask them how they're doing. And if they need assistance, everyone is just okay. I'm fine. I'm okay. I, I, I'm dealing with it. And that, that, that's a mistake, right? You need to be able to express that you're not okay. And maybe you do need help and that you are having a tough time. It's okay to admit that, but, people are really good at compartmentalizing, right? They're able to just put their trauma away in a box, put it aside and keep going about their business. They, they go to work the next day and pretend nothing happened. But one of the things I always tell all of my clients is it'll find its way. It'll find its way into your life and it'll impact you in some way, whether it's the fact that you can't sleep anymore or maybe it's impacting your relationships, or your job performance, um, you, or if you're in school, your academic performance. Trauma will always find a way, and so I think that the I think people just need to really be more upfront and open and seek help. And it's not a weakness to say that you're not okay.
0: So, you know, Monica, it's interesting that you you say some of this because, you know, as I think about, um, you know, when I had had the stroke, I think I had spent, you know, a couple of months really just agonizing over the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and what went wrong and really trying to create all these scenarios in my head. And I think that that's why having having this discussion was really important to me because I struggled with understanding how I was feeling. And I, and, and because, you know, I, I would get advice from folks about how they thought that I should be feeling. And I struggled with that because for me, so much of my identity felt like it had shifted with, with going through that event. And, and I, I feel like I've learned a lot. Now looking back, but, for, you know, I know that everyone kind of walks a different kind of journey. Is it unusual if someone revisits any of these stages down the road, maybe years or months? And what, and is there a reason for the, when you revisit something or re-experience a certain type of feeling? Yeah, I, I think
1: that what happens sometimes is that people can get triggered in their life And it can bring back either, you know, bring back memories of a specific event. But sometimes it's not even the actual trauma or event that they experience, but more that it's triggering a similar feeling, right? And that feeling could be helplessness or powerlessness. And so having that type of feeling triggered may bring somebody back to one of those stages where, again, maybe that feeling of safety is no longer there for some reason. And so then having to work to reestablish feeling safe again, or, you know, just forgetting how to cope with something, you know, in a healthy manner and trying to revisit you know what worked for me in the past because sometimes in times of stress people forget the things that have worked before right whether that's been oh yoga's been a really good de-stressor for me or running has been really good for me but in times of high stress sometimes all of those coping skills go out the window and people are left with you know I don't know what to do with myself and so Again, in therapy, one of the things I always talk to my clients about is, you know, when you've experienced times of high stress or, you know, an an event that was um, traumatic or, you know, when you lost someone in your life, how did you handle that situation? What did you do? What are some things that helped you through it? Right. So I I always like to revisit people's strengths and and what's worked in the past. So that way they can use those coping skills in the present.
0: Oh, God, I I, there's some. So, you know, I I would love to talk to you about that because we've talked about some really weighty stuff and some kind of some very intensive stages. Um, I would love for you to kind of share some insight and perspective about, you know, practices for, for dealing and managing the stuff that really, that really troubles us and can really take over the way that we're feeling.
1: I think that, you know, the, the first thing is really being able to ask for help and lean on your support system when needed. Right, you know, no one should have to travel this this path of trauma on their own. You know, use use the people around you, whether and that doesn't necessarily have to be family, but it can be family. But it could be coworkers or neighbors or friends. Um, you know, and I know for some people, especially those who maybe have had a lot of trauma in their life, especially a history of abuse. They may not feel like they have a support system. So, this is a time to really build a support system if you don't feel like you have one. And a good way of doing that, you know, I really encourage people to attend support groups. There are support groups out there for absolutely everything you can think of. And if you can't find one that you can physically go to, there are so many online, especially on Facebook. That there's, you know, a group for everything.
0: Mm. I mean, you know, I, I, what would you also say a little bit uh, when it comes to kind of like a a self care routine? You you touched on that a little earlier, um, but would is there is there an ideal way to kind of create a self care routine and 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 just kind of are there a couple of Of thoughts that you would have on where a person would want to begin when creating something like that?
1: Absolutely. I think having a self-care routine is so important, you know, in navigating through trauma and self-care looks different for everyone. You know, what might be important to me may not be the same for you. You know, for some people, self-care might be getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, exercising, um, maybe adding in meditation or yoga versus other people, you know, getting a weekly massage and getting their nails done and their hair done on a weekly basis because that makes them feel good about themselves might be part of their self-care routine. Picking up a good book and just having some time to yourself, sitting, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Florida. So going to the beach and sitting at, you know, on the sand and just kind of taking in the sights and the scents and the sounds really having, um, you know, practicing mindfulness. So all of those things can be part of a self-care routine. It's just trying to figure out what's important for you and what your needs are.
0: So you you definitely have are dropping a lot of a lot of gems, a, a wisdom, and I and I and I actually want to have uh, a package kind of like a little mini episode uh, with with a couple of uh, of tips that will build on some of the content that you're talking about. But as you reflect and as we think about everything that you've kind of summed up, and I think you've given us some really broad perspective, um, I do want to make sure that it's very clear that what we're talking about is, um, you know, kind of a broad understanding of how we handle trauma and the difficult things that impact us and some of the ways that we should think about how we approach these kind of things. But this is in no way meant to be kind of a, a broad sweeping generalization, uh, generalization. Our job is to, what we're trying to do right now and what um, you're bestowing on us is some knowledge about how we really deal with that kind of difficult stuff. But is there anything that you feel like we haven't, Covered or that we haven't talked about that you think would be beneficial as we're kind of delving into this topic? I think
1: that the biggest thing everyone should keep in mind is that whatever type of trauma or difficult time in their life that they're going through, that they're not alone. That there are other people out there who have experienced something similar. And, you know, it's just reach out for help. You, are not on your own on this. And again, it doesn't matter what type of trauma it might be. Oftentimes people just feel so alone in what they're going through that no one will understand. But there are people out there who will understand.
0: Ah, thank you so much for your wisdom and your insight and your perspective, Monica. I think it has been really, really uh, just kind of re- reflective. And I know that it's made me do a little bit of thinking about just kind of the way I've, I've thought about uh, some of the difficult things in my life. So I, I really, I really appreciate well, thank that. Thank you for having me. Thank you.